You're listening to the Calvary Catechism Podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. In the second episode of season number three, we are diving into eschatology, which is really just a big word for how things are going to end. How will the world end? What will the end times look like? We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to season number three of the Calford Catechism. Season three. I am Kenny. This is... Travi. Is that it? B. Oh. <laughs> you were just waiting for me, weren't you? Yeah, I was waiting for yeah. you to interrupt. Did you hear Nate in our last episode? <laughs> call himself Nate, Nato. Nato, Nadio. I feel like we should call him that from now on. Nadio. Um, if you did not listen Nadio. to the last episode, uh, Travis was not here and it was glorious. <laughs> um, you know... <laughs> If you didn't listen to the last episode, um, and if you just heard Kenny say what he just said, I would like you to send an email to him and tell him how much he just contradicted himself. Do you remember what you said in the last episode? Travis was just telling me I contradicted myself, and now I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. Um, No, what did you say? You said in the episode, I miss Travis. I can't believe I'm saying this, but you just contradicted yourself, friend. Sorry, buddy. You missed me. In that moment, but no longer. <laughs> now you're here, and I just realized hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. That's so true. Uh, hindsight. Speaking is of the Book of Revelation, yeah, um, <laughs> we'll get there in just a second. Here's our question of the day. If you're new to the show, uh, as always, I'm sorry. Um, and then, secondly, <laughs> we do a question just to get some of the fun banter out of the way. Um, so, if you don't want to listen to us mess around for like a minute and a half or two, um, just advance the podcast. But I suggest that you don't. Here's the question. Uh, What is the weirdest or strangest or most different childhood snack that you ever had growing up? Can you think of one? The the, the weirdest childhood snack? Like, so some people, uh, this isn't like really weird, but some people will eat like peanut butter and banana or or mayonnaise and peanut butter, I heard somebody say the other day. Maybe not childhood snack, but maybe even something you still eat today. Okay. Because mine is something I still eat today. Okay. Um... I grew up eating peanut butter sandwiches with my chili. Like dipping it in your chili? Yeah. Yeah, it's the most delicious thing you'll ever do. And and people are like, "Yo, that that that's really weird when they see it cuz who makes a peanut butter sandwich with chili?" But wow, it's incredible. You got to don't knock it till you try it. Well, peanut butter peanut butter works with almost anything. So I mean, peanut butter on a burger is actually good. So I could That's true. I could hear that argument. That's um, true. All right, here's mine. Go. So uh, strawberry pop tart. Ooh, hard and, to go wrong. And then a Kraft singles cheese. Really? On the strawberry pop tart, on the crust side. So you flip it upside down, put the cheese on that part, melt it a little bit in, in the, the microwave? toaster. So like a toaster oven. Okay. We had. Okay. Um, it's it's life changing. Really? Yeah. yeah. What what's the is it like sweet and savory? Yes, yeah, it's, it's like it's like the poor man's uh, charcuterie board. My dog. He said, <laughs> <laughs> he said the point. That was great. Um, that's some charcuterie right there, that's folks. All, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs> that was ridiculous. 
<laughs> it's incredible. That just came to me in the moment. Um, oh, that was great. All right, so here's what we're talking about today. Uh, obviously not charcuterie or Pop-Tarts. Um, we are talking about... I love sure These are all the signs of the times. <laughs> um, we're talking about end times. Uh, if you did not read the title of the episode, uh, it's going to... I don't know. We, we, have, we don't title these before we record them, but something like, how will it all end? Yeah. Right? How's it all going to go down? So yeah. uh, we've got it all figured out. We have all of our answers. <laughs> um, we know exactly what's going to happen. And so we're here to tell you. We got the day, the time, the hour. <laughs> no, we do not. We said that last time. Yeah. Um, maybe that's where we start. So let's start with some uh, foundational foundational is maybe a strong word let's just start with some introductory thoughts as we approach this conversation so okay um first thessalonians nobody knows the day the time or the hour how about that <laughs> yeah i mean even jesus said that uh yeah when jesus christ says i don't know because of his uh is t- his veiled glorious state mm-hmm. yeah, then you don't know either right you know what i'm saying right so um what we want to do and what we will attempt to do in this episode is to lay out each of the primary views of the end times. Um, we're not here to tell you which one you are to believe um, because this is a conversation, and some people will disagree with what I'm actually about to say, but I feel very strongly that this is a conversation um, that you can disagree on and still maintain fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Um, so I would go to the same church as somebody who had a completely different view of the end times than I did. Um, and I, and I know that some people disagree with that and I understand why they do, but I, I hold to this position that says, I think we need to be humble about this. Yes, have our convictions and even encourage one another in our convictions. Um, but I think there needs to be a constant humility with this, um, because there are faithful, uh, to the scriptures, men and women throughout time that have held different views on this. And and even faithful uh, Christians who have changed their views over yeah. times, right? Like they started out here, then they ended up here. Some of them started here, got here, and then went back to where they started. I mean, it just, it, it's nuts out there with yep. all of these views. So um, that's an important thing to see up front. What you got? Yeah, I, I, I just think that... Um Honestly, you may be listening to this, and you you may not even know there are different views. Mm-hmm. You may you may have grown up in your church, and you have certain traditions and certain presuppositions, and, and that's okay. You know, I, I, you may you may hold to one particular view that you hear today, and you say, "Oh yeah, I've I've always held to that," and I had no idea that you that you could view it differently. Right. Um, and our argument is to Kenny's point is that yes, you can actually hold to a lot of different views, um, not every single one of them, but you can hold to a lot of different views and still be Orthodox mm. and still be a Christian brother and us all still enjoy a good time together. Yeah, so that's important. Um, I think it's important that we ask the question, why is this conversation a big deal? Right. Why does it matter? If that's true, that we can have different views and still have fellowship with one another, then why even talk about it? Like, why does it matter what you think about the end times? Right. I think that um, the biggest the biggest aspect of that question um, is your eschatological views, 
which by the way that's a big word travis which i was just about to say <laughs> that is a really big word so eschatology is the study of the end times uh eschatos is the greek word for last times or last things so an ology is just the study of so you got the study of the last things study of the end times or however you want to do it so Big word, but that's all it means. So your eschatological views. So saying eschatology yeah. is like having a legit charcuterie board, and saying end times is like having a strawberry pop tart with cheese. That's on That's it. basically it's charcuterieology. <laughs> charcuterie. Wow. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You're the one that jumped and interrupted that. Sorry. Time. Sorry. <laughs> no, I love the the that was funny. Um, train wreck. Train wreck in my brain. Um, your eschatological uh, view is going to drive your behavior, and you may say, "What? Um, how you view the end of the world is going to be a presupposition in your mind that drives how you think and view what's going on today." So we're going to throw out some terms right now that we're going to later define. If you're, let's just say, a pre-millennium uh, ists, so a premillennialist, which is a, a pre-mill. We'll, we'll shorten it to that. If you're a pre-mill, you're going to view the world essentially in a pessimistic sense in that, hey, we're going to lose at the end of this. We're going to eventually win at the end uh, when Christ returns, but the church as a whole is going to lose up front. Um, and that's why things are getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. But then if you're a post-millennialist, post-mill, we'll, we'll shorten it to that, yeah, we are ushering in the kingdom. So we're going to win at the end. So your behavior is going to change based off of that. And if you, as a Christian brother, sees your other Christian brother acting differently than you mm-hmm. in light of the world around us with mm-hmm. everything that's going on, you may say, why is he acting differently? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a helpful conversation to have because it could simply be he views the end times differently than you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the danger of having these prophecies about what's going to happen in the end and the, and the danger of the different interpretations is that if we're not careful, um, we can get extreme in our views oh, yeah. and act so differently than our brothers and sisters in Christ um, that we can't have unity with them. Um, and that's the danger, and that's why I think it was important to say that up front is, I agree, this discussion matters because what you think about the end times does determine to a degree what you think about the current times. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But if you get too extreme in that, um, you can begin to hate your brothers and sisters who think differently than you because they're not, they don't have the same assumptions as you about what's going to happen in the end. And so um, that can be a dangerous place to be. But, it, but it's important. I, I would also say it's important to, uh, to know what you believe about the end times because even right now, I'm seeing people all the time who are posting these scriptures saying, you know, in the end times, these things are going to happen. And they're saying, look, all these things are happening in front of us. And so Jesus is coming back like today or tomorrow. Y'all better be ready. And while I would agree that Jesus, uh, Jesus return is imminent, meaning it could happen at any time. Um, yeah, I believe that. Sure. Okay, um, the return of Christ could happen at any moment. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. We need to all be ready for His return. Okay, hundred percent. I'm with you. Um, but but people get in this panic mode where they're like, well, this you know, people are lovers of self, and and people are evil and wicked the way that they're described in the end times. And so this is going to ha- like all these things have been fulfilled. Like we're on the we're on the brink of it. Um, 
The problem with that is all of those things have been true since the dawn of time. Right. People have been lovers of self and greedy and haters of God since uh, Genesis chapter 3, um, <laughs> <Right>. the fall <laughs> of men right. and women. So um, so that that's why this is important too, because if you don't know what you believe, if you're not firm in the scriptures, you can honestly live in a constant fear and panic that I think is, is foreign to uh, the faith that we're called to have, so... No, I totally agree. Um, so, with all of that being said, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this entire conversation off with the same way that I start every research paper that I do for seminary, and say uh, this is a uh, conversation that we're having. Essentially, it's it's not exhaustive in any manner, and we're just going to be uh, we're, we're we're Kenny and I are about to jump into a helicopter. We're about to go a thousand feet in the air, and we're about to fly over all of the different views, and we're going to have a conversation about them all, and in no way are we going to exhaust every single one of them. Yep. This is going to be a cursory, hey, let's look at it, let's glance over it, let's have a conversation about it. This is meant for exposure. This is meant for you to be exposed to the different views, get a little def- running definition with it so you can have a very basic understanding of it so that you can then go and conduct a further study into your own personal convictions. So where should they go if they want a further study? Uh, and while you think about that, you might not have to think about it. Um, I would just point you to uh, some of the study Bibles. Uh, the ESV study Bible has, in the introduction to Revelation, will give you an overview of some of these views. Take, pick up a systematic theology book, uh, whether that's Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, I've got John Frames. They will also dive deeper into each of these views, tell you the arguments for them, um, and then just, I mean, just do some research. I mean, go on, go on Google and search guys like John MacArthur and um, R.C. Sproul and Vody Bauckham. I, I'm, I've heard much of Vody's thoughts in the end times, but apparently they're out there as well. Um, they all three actually have different views of the end times even. Um, James White. Yeah, James White uh, is another great one. Uh, and so just listen to what people have to say and their arguments from Scripture. Uh, don't get to the crazies of the world. Um, right. There's There are crazies, but right. I gave you some, some solid recommendations there. <laughs> Those four guys are pretty yeah. solid. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, those were very intentional. Those four guys are extremely solid. Those four guys are um, just great proponents of the faith, defenders of the faith, and they're all orthodox, and people can listen to those four guys and be like, wow, and really receive some great edification from them. All four of them land differently. Yep. <laughs> that was that was intentional, the guys that yep. we just brought up. And all four of them have shared the same... Uh, I don't like the word, but they've shared the same stage at times yeah. in preaching to in conferences and all this stuff because there's unity there, even though there's, there's disagreement. Unity. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and most importantly, Kenny and I would both say, we're not trying to be that guy right now, but read the Bible. Right. Re- read the Bible within its context. Read the Bible within its historical, grammatical context. Study the Bible and land on a conviction. Yep. Um, after doing a nice study of yep. it. That happened with me. Um, I will not lay all my cards on the table because it's not the point of this conversation, but I had a certain view of the end times growing up that as I studied the scripture, it changed. And that's not me saying I read the Bible better than everybody else. It's just me saying as I studied, I, I saw things differently than what other people were telling me uh, to see them. And that's important too. So 
uh, make sure that you you pray, uh, you ask the Lord for wisdom, um, and you let the the Spirit of God lead you to truth as you as you seek it. Right. So we're gonna start this off with a really brief overview of a few different ways that people have typically understood the end times. So end times, where do we even get this conversation from? The book of Revelation, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're going to start it all off with the, the, the book of Revelation. So the, the, the Greek word for revelation means just to unveil. It just means to uncover. Um, uh, the literature is extremely unique because typically when you start having a conversation on how do I interpret a certain book of the Bible, you need to ask yourself, well, what type of book is it? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look back to First Thessalonians, for example, that was an epistle, which just means it was a letter. A dude, a real man named Paul, wrote a legit letter to a group of people, a church, in a place called Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. Well, the book of Revelation is a little bit different. It's a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. Kenny and I were talking about that beforehand. It was written to a circuit of churches, yes, by a guy named John, the Apostle John, yet um, it, it's not just a letter. It's not just a narrative. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit of a narrative. It is a little bit of a letter. It is a letter, obviously, um, but it's also a prophecy mm-hmm. in that things have not yet occurred. All of us agree. If you're yep. within the Orthodox faith, there are some things that have not yet occurred. Right. And it's apocalyptic in that it's, it's talking about the end times, which is an entirely different piece of literature that we even have today. Mm-hmm. So it's a really unique piece of literature that, and, and this is what makes it so difficult to interpret, objectively, I guess I should say. Yeah. You have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, you just have to approach Revelation with the understanding that there are go- there is going to be apocalyptic language, there is going to be imagery, um, there's even going to be, um, uh, what the word we use is typology, um, yeah, yeah. where you have something that did occur, in the past, for example, but it points to something that will be fulfilled in the future. Yeah. Uh, so a great example that we all agree with is back in the Old Testament, they sacrificed lambs on an altar to, for the forgiveness of sin. That actually happened, but in the future, Christ would be the ultimate final lamb. Those lambs in the Old Testament pointed to the Lamb of God in, the, in, uh, in Christ when he came. So there's some of that kind of typology, I think, in Revelation as well. Yeah. Yeah. And where that is and what that is, we disagree on, but yeah, we lot, all agree it's there. <laughs> a lot of it. So basically, um, I, I think the entire conversation should start off with how do we interpret Revelation? Um, well, that's the whole, that's the whole debate, right? Um, the, the word for interpretation is hermeneutics, and we're going to use that word throughout the conversation. Um, so just understand that the word hermeneutics means... How do you interpret the Bible? My it's, friend it's, Herman. My friend Herman the Crab <laughs> interprets the Bible <laughs> X. But hermeneutics means the science and the art of... It's not an art, I'm sorry. The science of interpreting the Bible. That's all it means. So what hermeneutical approach do you apply to the Bible? So how you interpret the Bible is going to dictate your view of Revelation. Do you... And, and, and really it hinges on this. Do you take the Old Testament text as a standalone, uh, as the standalone Word of God 
within its original context and saying, hey, this is what the Old Testament prophets and people said, and this is, and we can only take it to the extent that they understood? Or do you say, we need to take the New Testament text, which is the completed revelation, and read it into the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. So do we take the New Testament and read it into the Old and to, you know, they they argue that the apostles had the right and the authority and the understanding to reinterpret some of the things that the Old Testament prophets didn't fully understand. Right. Or did the, did the Old Testament prophets, they did understand to the extent that the Lord revealed to them. Right. Yes, there are mysteries. There are things that were not fully unveiled yet. Right. Yet, they did understand within their extent. Mm-hmm. That is really the heart of the issue here, because it's all about fulfillment of prophecies and how do we interpret the fulfillment of prophecies. So how do we interpret the text? you have any thoughts on all that? Oh, man, we got to get into it at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in agreement. I don't, I don't want to add too much to, to that. I would just say how we interpret the text is it has to be we have to interpret Revelation. We have to use the same method of interpretation with Revelation that we do with the rest of Scripture, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't interpret the rest of Scripture with a historical, grammatical approach and then come to Revelation and just say, well, now everything here is just like poetic imagery, and there's like, we're going to throw out the rest of the Bible because here's Revelation, and i got to deal with this differently. You, you right. can't do that as can't you approach Revelation. So you got to be consistent, and again, we all agree with that. We have to be consistent. We just end up landing in different places still. So We do, and Kenny and I, we, we come to the agreement within this conversation of um, our hermeneutical approach is—Kenny just used this phrase—we agree with the historical, grammatical approach to interpreting the Bible. Mm-hmm. We want to take each book individually, read it within its original context. We want to break down the words within their original languages, mm-hmm. and we want to understand what was going on around that time. Yep. And that's how we interpret the Bible. But yep. there are brothers who disagree with us, who land differently on the book of Revelation, right. who they hold to more of a, they call it a Christological approach, where they believe that you view every single verse throughout the Bible with the gospel of Jesus and the story of Jesus Christ alone as your lens, and you're reading it as as everything is centered around Christ, and you have to interpret every single text, including the Old Testament, and the famous example is the the golden pegs of the tabernacle and right. how every single piece of the tent represents Christ in some different way. Right. And that that, that that's their in hermeneutical approach versus... Our hermeneutical approach would be the more historical, grammatical viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, and and I, this can be a whole nother conversation, but I don't think we're as far off as people make that out to be. Like we say, historical, grammatical versus a Christological approach. I understand that there will be differences in where we land, but I mean, I say amen to a lot of what those guys are saying, right? Like we need to see... We need to see Christ in the scriptures. We need to see where he is pointed to and alluded to in the Old Testament. Where he's um, actually pointed right, to, though. Right, right. And, yeah. and I think, yeah, you can you can take both of those things to an extreme. You can. So You can. Uh, the danger in ours is, you know, to the extreme, the danger in historical grammatical is, well, this only meant this for them at that time, and it doesn't really apply to us, and it's, it's there because it was in this context that that was said. I mean, that's where you get some of the crazy liberal ideologies of the day, True. potentially. True, true, true. So if yes. we're being honest, that's the danger of, of our approach. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There are false ways of doing both. Yes. So anyways. I agree. So let's uh, jump into the very first one and let's just have a conversation fluid about it. Um, People interpret the book of Revelation in different ways. And one of the first ones is called the historical uh, the historical viewpoint of the book of Revelation, which really just states that you're supposed to interpret the book of Revelation through the lens of history, of church history specifically. The, diff- the, the church has went through uh, different stages throughout the last 2,000 years, um, from the, its inception to the early church fathers to the medieval times to the Reformation to the last... Uh, 500 years ever since then. Right. And to the modern church. So if we are to interpret the book of Revelation and in each uh, section of chapters were to represent a different era of church history. Right. That's how people such as John Calvin actually interpreted the book of Revelation. What are your thoughts on that? Um, <laughs> you're going to hear me say this with almost every view. Um, I... I agree with some of that, um, and and I can see it. I mean, even our church recently went through the seven churches of Revelation, right. and a lot of guys say that each of those churches represented a different stage in church history, and you can see the connections, but I also say, okay, you might be able to see some connections with that, but these were also actual churches that existed that John wrote these letters to. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, there's some convincing arguments with the historical approach, um, but I it's it's yeah i mean there there's there's parts of it that i'm i'm with you and there's parts of it where i'm like oh, i'm not so sure about that and you're probably going to hear me say that about just about every viewpoint so right and, and that makes sense well i think an interesting one that we can have a well let's jump into idealist first and then before we jump into a really interesting one idealist is really interesting <clears throat> but i'm talking about the preterist one yeah so the idealist they sorry I, let's pause for a minute just for clarity so the historic approach would they would they say that um, nothing in the book of Revelation is future? It was all past history. No, no, no. They they, they say that there is a, a piece of it that is future. Future. That uh, and, and particularly that would have to deal with what we're going to have a conversation later. Right. Is Revelation twenty, which but, is the Millennium Kingdom. But they would say the historical approach would say. A lot of revelation has been fulfilled. Yeah. A lot of it has been, but mainly the coming of Christ and his millennium have not yet been fulfilled. Yeah, that's going to look like a different church age. Right. Correct. Yep. No, that's that's good. Um, So the idealist view is essentially a very... um, It's a very... Idealistic view. Idealistic, (laughs) (laughs) symbolic view in that they see the entire book of Revelation as a big uh, storyline and a big fight of evil against good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and how you look at the book of Revelation is really telling the same story in multiple different ways, mm-hmm. which they call recapitulation, right. in that uh, the good and the evil are at odds at one another, yet good wins in the end. It's almost, and I'm, not, I'm really not trying to say this negatively, I, I'm, I'm trying to accurately reflect the view, uh, it's almost like how you would read C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Yeah. There, there's this storyline that's pointing to the greater story of good triumphing over evil. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you've ever watched Christopher Nolan movies. Mm-mm. 
So he he did like the Batman trilogy. Okay. Um, like the Dark Knight. Oh, I did watch Dark Knight. Yeah, okay. I love, yeah. I love. I just don't know Christopher Nolan. Where are they? Yeah. <laughs> I love Batman, okay. but um, Christopher Nolan's a really good act uh, director, mm. and basically a way that he does movies sometimes is that he will tell the uh, he, he'll tell the same story. He'll tell one big story. Obviously, that's that's the point of a movie. It's the plot, but throughout it, he'll he'll come at it from different perspectives, mm-hmm. and he'll tell the story from three or four different angles. That's literally telling you a different way that right. the conclusion happens. Right, and it's giving you more insight as it goes. But it's the same story multiple times. Right. So essentially, the idealist is is viewing the Book of Revelation in that way. Right. And in the same way. Um, a lot of it is, it's happened, it's mm-hmm. already happening, or it's happening right now, and then some of it's yet to happen, and right. it's the same way, as long, I, we should say this, if you are orthodox, if, if you're going to come to a proper understanding of the uh, Bible, of the book of Revelation, you have to hold to some extent that the, some parts of the book of Revelation is yet to come. Right. It's future. Right. Yeah, I mean... None of the views that are orthodox, that are consistent with faithful Christianity, none of the views interpret the entire book of Revelation the same way, in the sense that it's not all imagery, it's not all past, it's not all future. All of the views have a mix, Yeah. Um, and it it depends on the context of the passage, what's being talked about, all that stuff. So, yes, no, that's a a good point. Um, So, if you look at the book of Revelation and say... Every word of this book is future. Um, that's not true. Um, no, it's just not true. Yeah, because some of the true. stuff in the book of Revelation actually happened to John, who wrote the book. So right. There was, right, a, there was a real guy named John yeah, yeah, who's right, dead now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right there, not, not everything that happened to John is future, obviously, because it happened to him. So Correct. anyways. Yeah. Um, so the next view would be the uh, preterist. The preterist is a... Um, sounds like a dinosaur. It really does. The word preterist, I don't know why. I just yeah. think it sounds fun. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a subcategory, if you will, of the preterist called the partial preterist. Um, the preterist is, uh, really the one main view that if you're a full blown preterist, okay, that's my, that's my caveat. If you're a full blown preterist, then you're a heretic, which means you are wrong. (laughs) And, 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 and we can confidently on, 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 on the air tell you that, and come to an agreement that you are completely wrong and you need to repent of that. So a full-blown... Tell us why, Travis, because that's a strong statement. It is. A full-blown preterist is somebody that believes that the entire book of Revelation is past tense. Mm-hmm. So to Kenny's point earlier, he said, none, if you read every single verse as future tense, right. you're also wrong. Right. Dead wrong. Right. If you read every single per- piece as past tense... Then you're really dead wrong. Yeah, that that's more dangerous than saying everything is future. Exactly, yeah. it's way more. Yeah, because you're saying that Christ's already returned, that it's already all been inaugurated, and that it's done. Yeah, we're we're living in heaven right now, essentially. Yeah, well, you yeah, and, and it, it there's so many ways. That not only this is, is it wrong, wrong. <laughs> not only is it wrong, but it's illogical. Yeah, it's illogical. It's wrong. It's heretical, yeah. and it's just you, you you please please repent and let's get to a good understand if you want to be a preterist that's cool that's called partial preterism right so preterism is essentially when you read the book of revelation and you see it as 
uh, real history. Right. You're reading it as not church age history, right. like the historic, don't confuse those two. It's not the church age, it's just legit real history. Yeah. The beast refers to Nero, for example. Right. Um, that, that, that's one of the most common views, and um, that, that all of these events that were happening, you're able to interpret them within, like, hey, these legitimately happened in history. This yeah. is how it happened. It was written yeah. cryptically. That's why you see some really weird things. So that's an important point. As you read the book of Revelation, understand that um, it does make sense. It does make sense, whatever view you hold, that John was writing some of these things cryptically because he was exiled to Patmos at this time, and he's writing to Christians, and he doesn't want Rome. He doesn't want Rome to understand everything that he's saying if they got a hold of this letter. He wants the believers to be able to grasp it. So he quotes the Old Testament a lot. Um, he does use a lot of imagery that the believers would have been able to grab a hold to, um, and so that's true to an extent. Um, I also want to jump in and say, when it comes to the preterist view, um, my mind was blown at about the age of 19 when I realized that uh, Nero, uh, his, so I forget the terminology that's used, but there's, there are numbers that correlate to letters within the Greek and Hebrew alphabets, right? Yeah. And so there, you take Nero's name and the numbers that correlate to the Greek and Hebrew letters, I think it is, yeah. are 666. Yeah. Um, and I just remember as a 19-year-old trying to understand the book of Revelation, I was like, this changes everything. And <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, but that's what I, I remember thinking that. I was like, well, my, I'm, I'm done. Like, nothing I ever believed is true. <laughs> I'm, I'm so done. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that is, that, that, the, the, the partial preterist view um, is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating because... When you can start to uh, take pieces of the puzzle and putting them together within, and, and basically you're taking um, history as your puzzle pieces, and you're reading history, and it's making sense, and it's correlating with things in the book of Revelation, it's easier for your brain to connect dots. Right. So I think that um, that's why the, the, the partial preterist view is popular. Yeah, because um, it is. It's easier to make sense of Nero was... He was the beast. He was the right. one persecuting the Christians, and he was the one setting them on fire for his chariot races, and his name correlates to 666 and yep. all these things, and um, it, it makes sense. But where, whereas if you take some of that stuff and say it's future, you can't tie it directly to yeah. a person and a historical event. So it's, it's harder. It's harder to cling to that. And so um, whether or not—so we understand why people—why this is an appealing view. And honestly— um, Almost everybody I know that began to study Revelation for themselves had at least a period, whether they landed here finally or not, had at least a period where they were a partial preterist. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. or, 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 yes, they, they were blown away by some of these thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's funny. The, um, the partial preterist—let's let, talk about the futurist view real quick. Okay. And then we can go back and forth between the two, because the futurist— view is honestly I, I we kept this one for last because i think it's the most popular yeah um amongst uh, evangelicals throughout all of america mm -hmm. um particularly uh in the last 50 years if you will mm -hmm. 50 to 100 years yeah it's been extremely popular and this may be the one view where you thought was the only view right <laughs> you know yeah um so the futurist view holds that the first three chapters of the book of Revelation 
they're 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 past tense, right? Because that was the churches, the letters to the churches. Of that Revelation. was the legit letters yeah. that a real guy named John wrote to these uh, seven different churches, and the chapters four through the end of the book are future tense, right? They are prophetic. They are apocalyptic. They are. Uh, it, it was a revelation given to John in a dream of things yet to come, and right. which is true at least at least partially. It is true. Yeah, it is true partially. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So and, and, and yeah. So it really depends on how you interpret that. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the Sorry. day. But regardless, four through the end of the book, all future tense. It's a prophecy. Things have yet to come, and. Uh, all these visions and dreams are to be taken to a sense more literally right. than symbolically. Right. There are aspects of it than when you're taking it, their argument, when you're taking it within their original context and you're, you're taking the prophecies that are being referred to and you're taking them back to the Old Testament and you're actually checking your sources and you're doing all of the... The proper hermeneutical approach is what they would say, mm-hmm. is at the end of it, you're going to see, well, what needs to be taken literally is spelled out for you, right. and what needs to be taken symbolically is right. is plain right. as well, because you're actually reading it within its context. <clears throat> so you, so the, the futurist view holds that uh, much of the book is to be taken more literally, um, and that everything from maybe the common... Uh, refrains that you've heard of the Antichrist and the prophet and the Antichrist being wounded or killed and then coming back and, you know, the the, the future millennium kingdom of Christ returning and setting up a a literal kingdom and having a literal reign here for a thousand years and all those things that you've maybe heard, maybe you went through tribulation houses growing up or whatever it is, right? (laughs) Like that, 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 that is this view. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and this, is, uh, this is the view that influences people saying, well, is this world leader the Antichrist or not? Um, because yep. this view would say that the Antichrist is going to be a person that comes. Literally. Literally. Um, whereas some other views don't, uh, either don't necessarily hold to that, or they say that the Antichrist had already come with Nero, for example. Yeah. Um, or some other views say, well, the Antichrist is more of a spirit, because even in First John, um, I think it's First John where he says the Antichrist has already come, and, and Antichrists have gone out into the world, people opposing the gospel, basically, right? Yeah. So there's different views of the Antichrist. The futurists would say, for example, this is one example of what they would say, is the Antichrist is a real person that has not yet come, Maybe he's in the world now, but we, we've not identified him yet. Um, yep. And so uh, they would do that. They would say the beast is actually going to be a beast that comes. Is, is that, am, I, am I saying that right? No, um, the beast would be a literal person. Right, right. But yeah. still, what I'm saying is there is actually going to happen in the future. It's not yes. a representation of something. Correct. Yeah, it's yeah. not like a yeah. government world right. order. It's right. not a system. That's what I meant. It's not, a legit Not like person. it's going to actually be a beast. Gonna be Sorry. straight up boogeyman, yeah. dog. Yeah. <laughs> straight up. Um, yeah. So there are there are right ways and wrong ways of thinking about all these things. Um, and, you, and kind of to Kenny's point earlier is where we can think way too far right and way too far left on certain aspects of it. I think a danger of the and there's a lot of things that make a lot of sense to this uh, of the partial preterism view, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just making a point here to kind of go back and forth with it. One thing that you that we can be in danger of, of in the partial preterism view, is we have as a human nature this desire to know, right? To understand, just to say, yeah, well, that 
I don't like there being things that are ab- above my comprehension. Right. I don't like there being things that are too high for me. And we have this really strong, prideful desire to make sense of everything mm-hmm. for them all to fit in perfect puzzle pieces. So there could, th- there's a danger there of saying, well, this sense completely makes, th- this view completely makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I can understand and trace everything throughout history. I got it all figured out. Right. Whereas God says, yo, you're, you have that you have no idea. Right. My ways are so much higher right. than your ways. Right. And, and, and then their argument for the futurist is like, you, you really think that some of the things that are spelled out in chapters four through the end of the book are literal. Right. Like you really think these locusts with human faces flying around, you're like, really, that's yeah. really going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and, 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 and I think when I'm doing an overview of all these different views, all I'm trying to say is, when I personally read Genesis chapters one, two, and three, right, and I I'm a hundred percent convinced that that is real, literal. That happened. That's history, right. And when I read that God was walking around in a garden with some dude, and there were some snakes talking, and there was a legit tree of eternal life, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know then I can make sense of Revelation being literal too. Yeah. Like what I'm saying is people, for the argument of, well, that's just too outlandish for this to actually occur. Did you not read Genesis? Well, some crazy things happened in the past. But to also be fair to the futurist position, if, if you're saying all these things are in the future and they're literally going to happen, you also have to take into account that John, as he's seeing this vision of Revelation, if all this stuff was going to happen at such a later date, he was going to see things that he did not have context for, right? So, uh, for example, um, if John, like John's seeing wars happen, if he's seeing modern wars happen, he's seeing tanks and guns and helicopters and things that he's never seen before, has no context for, no language for, so he's using the best language he has available to him to convey some of these truths, right? Um, And so that's why you would have things like, I saw this locust, you know, with a a face, and like, I mean, it, so... So I, that's, that's to say, like, it's not as outlandish as it sounds. If you've never heard the futurist view before, you might say, really? Like, I mean, all this stuff, like, come on, you can't really think that's going to happen. Right. Well, sure it can. Um, yep. and, and honestly, the, the futurist view, one of the appealing things about it is that they have an answer for everything in the book of Revelation. Because they take it literally. Yeah, they, <laughs> they grab everything in the book of Revelation, and they're like, here's what this is going to be. Yeah. Um, they're... They're not always necessarily that definite, but they have an answer for everything. Every imagery, everything they see, they're like, "This is this is how this is going to play out," um, yeah. and and it makes sense. And they tie it to scripture, and they're they're trying to be faithful in their interpretation, and um, so it it's appealing in that way. It is. It it really it, it it is. And like I said, at the end of the day, I just don't like the argument that hey, that is just too cuckoo for cocoa puffs. That that could actually legitimately happen. Right. And then you read the book of Exodus and. You read the plagues, and you're like, yeah, that happened. Yeah. You're like, what? Well, no. Like, all of this is absolutely within the scope of reality. Right. And that's all we're saying. And so that's essentially an overview, 1,000-foot, I meant 10,000 feet, really, mm-hmm. uh, overview of the different views. And the one of the biggest conversations that we have to get to next, and we're going to r- jump right into it, is the Millennium Kingdom. Because mm-hmm. the Millennium Kingdom is really... There's a hot debate, there's a hot topic um, between the three main views. Now, 
the historical view, the preterist, which we'll just call the semi-preterist, but I'm going to call it preterist for short because remember, preterists are heretics. So whenever I say preterist, know that I'm assuming uh, semi-preterist. We have the futurist and we have the idealist, right? Those are the four main schools of interpreting the book of Revelation. And within those four main schools, um, you various uh, people have interpreted the Revelation chapter 20 mm-hmm. different ways. Revelation chapter 20, why am I singling that out? It's one of the, it, one, it's near the end of the book of Revelation. So um, depending on where you hold, this is yet future. Yep. And it talks about a really, really interesting thing called the Millennium Kingdom. It, it, this is the chapter that brings up Christ actually returning and when he returns, he sets up a 1,000-year reign. Yep. How in the world do we interpret that? We're going to talk about the three different main schools of thought. Kenny, what you looking at in the text? Do you want to read it? Yeah, I was just going to read the, the part of the Bible that talks about this. So do Revelation it. 20, uh, I guess we'll read verses 1 through 6 at least. Um, we can go further, but let's start here. Do it. Uh, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it, and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw the throne, saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed." Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Golly, we'll there's there. just so much. <laughs> I'm just, I, I got stressed out while you read. <laughs> like, like first resurrection, yeah. Satan being bound. And we can't get into everything here. We just I can't. Know. We just can't. Yeah, so let, we're going to hone in on the thousand year reign. Yeah. Because that's really where um, the scope of our conversation today lands. Right. Um, that, that's been known as the Millennium Kingdom, thousand mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So the Millennium Kingdom, is it literal? Right. Is it symbolic? Is it yet to happen? Has it already happened? Mm-hmm. Is it happening now? Right. So these are all the different viewpoints, and uh, this is where the three main titles come from, of pre-millennium, mm-hmm. which is called, we're going to call pre-mills, uh, all-millennium, which we're going to call all-mills, and post-millennium, which we'll call post mills. Mm-hmm. Three main viewpoints. We're gonna we're gonna talk about each one. You have any yep. thoughts? No, wait, let's jump in. We'll we'll get into thoughts as we go. All right. So pre mills, they hold to the that we're living in a pre millennium kingdom right now. That the the millennium has not happened. Um, it's a yet future event, and it's a literal event. Mm-hmm. It's going to literally happen. Which typically people within the futurist. Uh, school of thought hold to the pre-millennium way of thinking yep Uh, you have pre-millennium pre-tribulation christians who believe that the tribulation the seven-year tribulation that's outlined in the book of revelation is literal and that christ is going to rapture his church 
before the tribulation. Yep. You have pre-millennialist mid-tribulation. Yep. So uh, Christ is going to rapture his church in the middle of the tribulation, and you have pre-mill post-tribulation people who say, no, yes, uh, it's a futurist view. Yes, we're living in before the millennium. The millennium's literal, but Christ is going to rapture his people after the tribulation. Um but the Millennium Kingdom, nonetheless, and all those views for a pre-mill, it's a literal thousand-year reign. Mm-hmm. It's going to actually happen in a sense that Christ is going to come down, crack open the skies. Um, he's going to literally bind Satan. Mm-hmm. He's going to literally take hold of the beast in some way, shape, or form. I don't really know what that looks like. He's going to actually be um, chained up and subjected and imprisoned in for a thousand years. Yep. And... Uh, for a thousand-year reign, Christ is going to set up his literal earthly kingdom here in Jerusalem, sitting on a legit throne, and his people will be there. Yep. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some, some people scream when I say this, <laughs> but everything you just said is what the text says. <laughs> it is. That's what the text says. This is what it says, black and white. Yes. So... And that that this is why, this is why it's a popular view. Uh, this is why so many people passionately preach it and teach it because everything that Travis just said, the way he just described that, I mean, he basically just pulled language from what I just read. I mean, it, it is what the text says, and so you have to approach this and you have to ask yourself the question: Okay, the text says this, but as we interpret it, is it literal or is this? imagery pointing to an actual reality. And when we say, you know, is it literal or is it imagery? Those who would say some of this is like imagery and pointing to, they still are interpreting literally, but it's how you define literal. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's how you define literal. Yeah. So, um, but, but to be fair, that is what the text says. When you take the futurist pre-mill, uh, even I would say pre-trib, yeah. um, you are you are just taking what the Bible says and and running with it, and that's why it's appealing, and that's why it's hard to argue against. Yeah, and I appreciate it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate what they have to say, and yeah. and I'm going to uh, break my research like paper school of thought for a second and speak a little bit of my own thoughts into this. Okay. Um, I hope this is true. This is sick, right? Like, yo, if the Book of Revelation is to be taken literally. I'm 100% hopeful and down for there to be a beast that shows up and Jesus to literally show up on a horse with tattoos right. and smash homeboy. Like, right. that sounds amazing. I want that to be literal. What? That sounds great. All it's, right. So for people who have no idea what you're saying, what do you mean Jesus shows up with tattoos? Oh, he's got like... It literally says tattooed <laughs> on his legs, yo. I forgot the it name. What is it? Scribed, uh, is it true and faithful? Or oh, man. Faithful, faithful and, and true. true yeah, like that? yeah. Okay, regardless, it's really cool. Um, yep. If he gets a tattoo, I'm getting those two. Um, that, <laughs> okay, back to research mode. So uh, you have the pre-mills and the pre-tribulation and all those different thoughts, and, that, and that's how they interpret Revelation chapter 20. Mm-hmm. That's what they do with it. Because no matter what, I should have said this in the beginning, once you're reading through the book of Revelation, once you get to Revelation chapter 20, you got to do something. Right. You got to do something with the Millennium Kingdom, this thousand-year reign. Like, what? how in the world are we going to read this? Yep. So there's the pre-mills, and now we got somebody got the all-mills. Yep. Uh, the all-mills. Ah means no. Yeah, and negates. Ne- yeah, yeah. And, and, and all is, uh, it, it just, neg- an, an A in front of a word negates something within 
uh, the literary world. So an atheist is a, an A, and a non-theist, a non-God believer. Uh, they completely reject that there is a God, and that's what atheist gets its name. Um, so an all-mill, which people say this all the time, and I still don't get it. I don't know why they're called all-mills. They don't, they, so I just gave that definition of A and all and what all that means. And you're like, oh, so they don't believe in a millennium. Right. No, that's not what they, like, I don't, I don't know why they call it. They don't believe in a literal thousand thousand year year reign, future, future, that, that's what they reject. Right. Um, but all mills don't reject the idea symbolically of a millennium kingdom. Right. They just say Revelation chapter 20 and the vast majority of all the other parts of Revelation should be taken symbolically mm-hmm. and that the millennium kingdom is actually occurring now. Right. We're in the midst of it, yeah. Yeah, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, some of the strong support for this from Scripture would say, um, you know, Jesus even said at one point in the Gospels, or two different points of the Gospels, that Satan has been defeated. Um, and Satan has has been conquered, right? And so the Amil would say that's why in Revelation 20, it's talking about that serpent, Satan, being bound, right? And so in a sense, right now, Satan is bound. Um, yes, he's still at work, um, but he is he is not able... He is not able to uh, continue to deceive the world in the sense that Jesus is going to save his people. Jesus is saving his people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that sense, Satan is bound. Um, he can't do anything that God does not permit him to do, um, which counter-argument to that is, well, that's been true for all of time, so why why is that pointed out now? And, and I understand it, right? So yep. um, let's see here. Amil, I'm going through the text a little bit. You can jump in if you got something to say here. Yeah, so I think that... Um uh, the Satan being bound argument, um, both people kind of throw that at each other. Right. The, the pre-mill, the futurist view, will throw um, that text at the all-mill. And typically, by the way, all-mills are the people who read the uh, book of Revelation through the idealist school of thought, mm-hmm. So just so we can keep connecting the two. Um, yep. So they... they Pre-mills will look at all mills and say, how is Satan bound? Mm-hmm. And then all mills will say what Kenny uh, just said, the, the perspective that, hey, Satan has lost. Yep. And I, I honestly, between both camps, I don't, I don't see there being any argument there for either case. Right. I think that all of us, pre-mills, post-mills, and all mills, all three of us have to reconcile the fact that Satan's head has been crushed, yep. that he's been disarmed per the book of Colossians, and that he is lost, yeah. yet he is still at work. At work. And Peter's, no matter what. Peter says he's still roaming around like a roaring lion. He's still, yeah, yeah. seeking to devour somebody. So yeah. regardless of your school of thought, we have to reconcile those two truths. Yep, yep. Yet. Yeah, well, in the, so let's, we, we, we are running late, so I don't, I don't want to spend too much time, and that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, this episode will be a little, little bit longer, but... Um, Amil also, when it comes to the thousand years, you're like, well, the text says it's going to be a thousand years, and it's been more than a thousand years since the time of Jesus, so the Amil position can't be right. Uh, but that, again, goes back to how do you interpret this? How do you interpret a thousand years? The Amil would say, listen, um, the Bible's clear that to the Lord, uh, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is, is to a day. And so it's not, it's not literal. A thousand years is just supposed to be representative of a long period of time. Um, it, it, it's representing 
this period of time that we are in right now known as the last days. And so um, I think we would actually all agree, all positions would agree to some extent with the fact that no matter where you land, we are in the last days and have been in the last days since yeah. the ascension of Jesus Christ. Right. Um, the church age is the last days. This is the last period of time until the end comes. Now, yeah. we might be in the last days for another thousand years. Who knows? Um, we, we don't know. Uh, but we, we are in the last days, and so the Amil would say that thousand years is just representative of this long period of time known as the last days, the church age. Um, yep. So that's the position of Amil. Yeah. Um, so we then jump into the post-mill. So post-millennialists, their, uh, their viewpoint is much more uh, optimistic. So you look at the pre-mills, they have a much more, historically at least, um, pessimistic viewpoint of the end of the world. They believe that, hey, if we read the book of Revelation literally, we're going to see things get worse and worse and worse until the Antichrist comes, and then there's going to be a legitimate, literal tribulation period of seven years, and then Christ is going to come back. And then there's even after that thousand years, there's going to be an apocalypse, right? Uh, an apocalyptic war. So, I mean, it's going to be crazy, and it's going to be it's very pessimistic. Ultimately, we win. Yeah. Jesus will win, but the church throughout the process yeah. loses. Again, there's a big part of me that hopes that that's true, like you said, because I, I, w- I can't tell you how awesome it would be and epic it would be to be there in the day that the battle of Armageddon happens oh, yeah. and Christ comes and yeah. just wipes them out. Just With like, a word. W- with, with a his, word. With word. So, yeah. That, he doesn't even draw. Like, yeah. he, he just, yeah. I, I imagine him whispering. Yeah. So I've not seen the movie, so I apologize if I don't get the reference right, but I've heard enough to know that I think it works. Which one? Uh, so uh, the guy in the Marvel, Marvel movies who, like, snaps his fingers. Oh, Thanos snaps yeah. his fingers, yeah. 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 Ooh, yeah, that's, yeah. It. that's it. That's funny. Even more epic than that. Oh, way better. Yeah. Way better. Because Thanos loses. Yeah. Right? right. Jesus ain't going to lose. Right. So, um, yeah. So that, that the pre-mills typically hold much more uh, pessimistic. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you got the post-mills. They're much more optimistic about their uh, view of the end times and that we're going to win. And let me explain that. So we've connected so far. you got the futurists in the pre-mills. you got the idealist in the all-mills. Most, most of the time, not always, but most of the time. And the, and, and the preterists and the historicists typically mm-hmm. land on the post-mills. Uh, the post-mill views that the Millennium Kingdom is literal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Jesus is going to return literally after the thousand-year right. uh, millennium kingdom. Right. Um, but how they view the millennium kingdom is different than the pre-mills. Right. Obviously, than the all-mills as well, but the all-mills are the only ones in the middle saying that it's not literal, it's symbolic, and that we're in it now as a church age. Um, whereas the post-mills are saying that the church is going to actually usher in right. the Millennium Kingdom. Right. There's going to be—this is interesting. The post-mills say that there's going to be a thousand-year uh, millennium reign, essentially, of the church, because the church is the body of Christ. Right. So, therefore, Christ is reigning, essentially. Right. Um, and uh, da, 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 da. so th- there's going to be a thousand-year reign of the church where— um, Christian schools will essentially be prominent, Christian schools of thought, sciences, the, the government, everything's going to be reformed. 
right. to a Christian worldview. Right. And that essentially a theocracy, a government ran by the Word of God, is going to be completely in control. And then after that thousand years, Christ will come back and yeah. finally so, completely defeat sin, death, and Satan. Yeah, the way that the post-mill view is often described is that things will just continue to get better until Jesus returns. Right? Yeah, it's more optimistic. Yeah, we're going to progressively get better until right. finally we take... Which we is, as a church take over. Which is why a lot of post-mill guys are the ones fighting in the courts for yeah. biblical law, right. um, because they believe that's what's going to happen, right? right? And so this is why we said earlier, how you interpret the end times matters how you live today. Because the yeah. pre-mill person is like, I don't need to be in the courts. None of it's going to matter. It's all going to go to... It's to, supposed to keep getting yeah, worse. Yeah, it's just, it's going to get worse. Uh, and the post-mill is like, no, it's going to get better, and we're supposed to be a part of that, so let's yeah. stand up for the gospel in the courtrooms and the political arena, and uh, and to be fair, um, not all post mill guys are necessarily trying to be politicians. They don't no. think our hope is in politics. Mm. Um, none of that. They just believe that the church is going to win. So let's be in the battle. Um, yep. And we all think the church in the end is going to win. But how that victory happens is where we where we disagree. Right? So, yeah. No. Hundred yeah. percent. So, is the uh, millennium kingdom literal? Is it future? Is it happening now? Is it going to happen literally, but it's not going to happen with Christ returning? Is it the church? It, those are all the questions that really are associated with the Millennium Kingdom and your viewpoint, but they all really tie back into how you interpret the uh, book of Revelation, and how you interpret the book of Reve- Revelation ties back into how you interpret the Bible, yep. which has really been our flow of argument throughout this yep. episode. Well, and and I'll, I'll, I'll give one more uh, support text that post-millennials will use. It's in Matthew 24 when Jesus says um, to the disciples, there are some of you here who won't taste death until these things are fulfilled. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about a lot of what many view as end times stuff. Yeah. And so that's why they would say, look, we're, we're, we're working towards the end times now. We're working towards his kingdom. Jesus told the disciples they would see his kingdom come, and his kingdom has come, and it's working its way through the world and the culture. Yeah. And they would say, you know, and, and, and again, to be fair, you might say, well, how could, how could they possibly think things are getting better, right? And their argument is, and, it, and I would say that to an extent it is convincing, their argument is, well, li- listen, a thousand years ago, we didn't have the technologies we do today. Yeah. We're, we're curing diseases, and education is, even though in many ways it's corrupt, education is, is in parts of the world that it never was, and people are, I mean, the world is technologically better, it's medically better, yeah. um, we are, we're stronger in war than we used to be. I mean, all these things you can say are true to an extent. Yeah. Um, so you can understand at least how they, how they can justify um, their view. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so my really concluding thoughts on all this is really a, an exhortation towards the, the audience. Please, please, please study and do your research on every single view. Yep. I cannot tell you, this is something that, that I see a lot within circles of common views. Let's just say you're, let's just say you're around somebody who has always been an all-male. Mm-hmm. or has always been a pre-mill, or mm-hmm. has always been a post-mill, because that's the way that they grew up thinking and learning and being taught. Uh, there's a really strong danger in le- ha- learning a, a very surface-level amount 
mm-hmm. of the other views, mm-hmm. just enough to say, well, they're dead wrong and I reject them and da 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 da. You're not, uh, th- there is such a, for some reason, I've seen that there is a, uh, there's like a, a disdain towards truly studying in order to understand and comprehend the other view. Yeah. Like from a scholarly standpoint, even saying, hey, I want to, I want to, I, yes, let's just say I'm, I'm not a post mill, um, but I'm going to say for sake of argument, I'm a post mill here. Okay. I'm a post mill and I want to understand um, uh, the all mill. Right. I'm going to go and read the best arguments. I'm going to go read, um, I'm going to go read books from authors who promote it. Who right. are arguing from a biblical standpoint, the all mill, right? Right. Rather than saying, "Well, I'm going to go read a book about um, all mill from that was written from a post mill, just refuting it." Yeah, that's not the same thing. Right. We need to be able to study and read each individual view. I'll, I will lay my cards out on the table. I don't know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I, I'm in the middle of studying every single one of these. So when I say I'm not a post mill, I just say I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not any of them. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to read all three. I'm trying to understand fully and comprehend each one's argument, the text from a hermeneutical standpoint, where each one argument hinges upon, and I want to land on a conviction that I'm just completely like I'm I would be willing to preach. Like right. I, if I if I cannot say with conviction in my heart that I can preach this text, then I'm not there yet. Yeah, and I'm not there yet. Yeah. So all I'm asking you guys to do. Is read, study, and fully try to understand every yeah. view. Yeah, yeah, and it, it takes work. Um, yes. This is this is hard because there there is there are so many different views that faithful uh, men and women for centuries have held to, and and they differ from one another, and so it's difficult. Um, and and it's worth the work though. Yeah. Um, because in the conversation of eschatology and end times. Um, you are also properly beginning to interpret the current times, and you're properly understanding that in the end we will win. And so it, this is a good place to end, I think. Um, no matter which of these views you hold to, uh, no matter where you land, no matter what your arguments are, we all agree, all faithful Christians agree, that Christ is coming back. Amen. Um, Jesus will return. Death will be no more. Sin will be no more. He will establish his kingdom, um, and we will reign with him for eternity. We will be in his presence for all of eternity. That is going to happen. Um, We cannot dispute that, um, and that's where our hope lies. And, And here's the thing. The Bible is clear in several places. We are to encourage one another with these things. We are to say to one another, Jesus is coming back. Um, the, the term that's been used for a long time is Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Our world, even if you're a post-mill, you would agree to an extent that our world is broken, right? Our world is absolutely broken with sin. We want Christ's kingdom to come. We want him to establish that. And the good news is it will happen. How it happens, we disagree on, but it will happen. Encourage one another with these words. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Yep. Therefore, 
encourage one another with these words. There it is. There, there it is. It is. Yep. Someday we are going to never be separated from the physical presence of Jesus Christ. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. yep. And that's what this is all about. The question is, will there be strawberry Pop-Tarts with cheese in heaven? <laughs> as long as there's peanut butter sandwiches with chili as first, I'm diggity dog down with I it. I feel like we always come full circle somehow. We have to. We have to do that. Yeah, that's a part of it. Um, we just, by the way, Shelby and I, my wife, just had our first charcuterie board together on our uh, fifth anniversary. Mm. Yes. That was great. It's amazing. Like, yeah. wow, we were massive fans. Yeah, yeah. Charcuterie boards are leg- are the charcuterie. Yes, they're legit. <laughs> yeah, they they're pretty good. Um, but should they be taken symbolically or literally? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm exhausted though. That was a that was a good conversation. That was fun. Um, this is season number three, difficult doctrines, Woo-hoo. and I think that we did season number three so that we could have this conversation. Um, at yeah. least in Travis' mind, he's been wanting to talk about this for a while. So, <laughs> <I have been. laughs> um, so we did it. Uh, not even close to exhaustive, not even close to... Wasn't the point. <laughs> this wasn't even like the introduction to all these things, right? Not even completely. So no. it's just, like he said, uh, we wanted to give you a gloss over, uh, get you started, encourage you to go study it, shoot us some questions. We may do some leftovers on some of this stuff if... If you want it. If you want it. Um, but send us send us some questions. Uh, we'll deal with some of that stuff uh, if, if you would like to hear from us. Uh, but that's all we got for now, because that was long. Yeah, that was long. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. you guys for listening. I... You're not listening. Nobody's listening. Yeah, they're done at this point. Nate's still here. (laughs) Hey, Nate. Hi, Nate. (laughs) Nate, Nato. 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 All right, y'all. This is Kenny and Travi. Peace. Bye.